Well, we're in the book of Isaiah, which we're calling the fifth gospel. But I want to start off today with a what if question. Here it is. What if Jesus's ministry occurred at a different time and place? That is, what if it didn't happen like you read in the New Testament 2,000 years ago in the Middle East? What if his earthly ministry occurred, say, in a modern city, maybe Philadelphia? What would his ministry look like? What would he be doing, saying? Now, I've heard answers to this question. I want to read some of them that I've read and heard. One, he'd be feasting with prostitutes. Two, he wouldn't be impressed by our skyscrapers, one person said, but he would be saddened by our sensuality. A number of people said he would be homeless. Also, this one's interesting. Jesus would be another street philosopher preaching some wild things, and yet he would be lost in the noise. A lot of people said he would be fighting for justice. And finally, he wouldn't look like Christians today and would probably stand against them. Now, however helpful you might think some of these answers are, there's, there's actually something very wrong with the question itself. And when I've asked this question before, sometimes I see a couple confused faces or not able to pinpoint what the problem is and then it comes to them maybe you had this thought wait a second didn't Jesus have to be born in Bethlehem and I don't mean Bethlehem PA didn't Jesus have to ride a humble donkey and proclaim himself king of Israel or be proclaimed king of Israel, a nation in the Middle East. Wasn't that a prophecy? And wasn't it the specific region of Galilee in the north of Israel that would be honored by the ministry of Jesus, we're told? The one called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Remember that from Isaiah 9? And it specifically says this will happen in Galilee. Didn't Jesus, in other words, have to live in Israel, minister in Israel, and die in Israel? Didn't he have to be an Israelite, a Middle Easterner, and a Jew? How could this have happened in North America? So if we're eager to answer this question about what Jesus would be doing in a modern day city in the United States, if that's where his first coming occurred, we might reveal something. Not only our self-confidence to answer the question, but that we won't really understand Jesus and his story that well, including his backstory of his country, his people, Israel. He had to live in Israel 
He had to minister in Galilee. He had to die near Jerusalem. A descendant of Abraham, the son of King David, and he stood in a long line of Hebrew prophets. All this fulfilled the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, and fulfilled the story of Israel, God's people. Now to our message today, which is about two persons, the hero and the servant. That's what I'm calling this, the hero and the servant, and both of them have everything to do with Israel. And both can be found in the book of Isaiah. Let's start first with the hero, and this part is review. Do you remember the hero in Isaiah 9 and 11? This was what we covered during Christmas time, Advent time. The word hero wasn't used by Isaiah. It's not in our English translated Bibles. But this is what was said about a man you could call the hero. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Now listen to what he says about Israel here. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. In other words, a hero is coming. And what kind of hero? A a ruler. A king. He sits on David's throne. And it's going to be a reign of peace. Amazingly, it lasts forever. Now, that's early Isaiah. Isaiah 9. And then you go to Isaiah 11, which we did in December. Isaiah 11. Same hero presented as A man whom the Spirit of God rests upon from the stump of Jesse. Again, a king in David's line with spirit of wisdom and justice supernaturally from God. A heroic king that would rule. Now that was was Isaiah 9 and 11. And after that, you might think, what more is there to say? But Isaiah goes on for 55 more chapters. And when you get to the 40s and the 50s, a new person is talked about, a servant. There's the hero early on, and now in the 40s and 50s, we come to the servant, the servant of the Lord. Who is this person? He's a bit mysterious. Is he even a single individual person? We'll see that question in a moment. Let's open up to Isaiah and let's go to Isaiah 49 and let's see what we can learn here. Now, I don't have the children's Bible reference, but I have the black Bibles up here. If you're using this, this is on page 609. The first seven verses of Isaiah 49. 
Now, can I give you a little encouragement here? The prophets, if you've read the Bible, you might get kind of stuck in the prophets. They're a little hard to understand, including Isaiah. And so we're going to walk through this actually verse by verse, seven verses. And I think it's worth the work. It's worth the work. You really need to have your Bible open and watch, go through it. It's, it's really worth a little bit of work, especially on a Sunday we're talking about a servant. And after we leave this passage, we'll talk about us being servants. Servants do work. And one of the things we can do is work through scriptures and really try to understand them. Put a little bit of labor in. Boy, I'm so thankful for our women's Bible study that teaches women to do this so well with all the very thoughtful questions, homework, working through it. It's work worth doing. You know, before I get there, a, a lighter note. Here's a lighter note talking about work. I saw recently a nice professional looking banner in a, either a company or a, a school. And it said something I thought was going to be kind of an encouraging quote. Sounds like JFK. But here's what it actually said. It said, we do this not because it is easy. We do this because we thought it would be easy. All right, let's do verse one here. Isaiah 49, one. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. The Lord called me, named my name. Who is this about? First person singular, it sounds like Isaiah is talking about himself, his own call. But let's keep reading. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow in his quiver. He hid me away. Sometimes you have to stop and think, what are these images? What do these metaphors mean of a quiver, arrow being hid, protected, kept for a special day? But it's the first part I actually really want to focus on quickly here. And that is, he made my mouth like a sharp sword. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. Has anyone ever said anything to you? That it felt like they were using their mouth like a sharp sword sword. It could be because it was cruel what they said. But that's not what's meant here. What's meant here is truth that cuts because it's true, not because it's cruel. And this is usually the identity of a prophet. A prophet who speaks God's words and they cut sometimes Let's keep reading. Verse 3. And he said to me, you are my servant. Here's the servant language. You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. And this is one of the many times Isaiah in the 40s and 50s, those chapters, 
He uses this word servant to refer to a person, a figure, the servant of the Lord. And he says, you are my servant. And that's that's a compliment, folks. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. A servant, someone who's trustworthy, not necessarily menial under the foot without dignity. No, no, no. Someone who does my will. He is my servant. Who? And you think it's going to be Isaiah. And it's Israel. You are my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. Israel, my people. How special is Israel? And you know over half this book is the story of Israel. You are my servant and I will be glorified in you. Somehow. Israel. Verse 4. But I said. I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord. And my recompense, my reward. With my God. I have labored in vain. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever done a lot of work? Put forth a lot of effort for nothing? Or it feels that way at least. Completely fruitless. And that's the servant. Remember the servant is Israel from the last verse. The servant is is portrayed as discouraged, tired. Feeling that all this work for nothing. And yet, the end of the verse I read, that same servant rallies in faith. Yet with my Lord, without with God is my reward. Now, do you find this hard if you are discouraged, feeling like your work is fruitless? To, to, is it hard to rally in faith and say, yet the Lord is in control and the Lord is my reward and he knows me and this is not easy. Not easy for me. I think this is so, re- so much why we need the Psalms. The Psalms train us. Again and again, gives us words to rally in faith, even if we don't feel like it. Now, let's read on to the next verse and get ready for a curveball. Verse 5. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, Israel, but listen carefully to this, to bring back Jacob to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. Now, did you hear that middle part? We've already heard and seen that the I, the me, Is my servant Israel. The voice of my servant Israel. Talking in first person. But here we see something new. And that is. This servant will bring back Israel to God. I thought the servant was Israel. To bring back Jacob. And Jacob is another term. For Israel. So here's the confusion. And this is what you see in Isaiah, the 40s and 50s. Who's the servant of the Lord? That's what we're focusing on. Just one question today in these seven verses. Who is the servant? The identity of the servant. And in some parts, it's clearly Israel. 
And now you see, the servant is someone who brings back Israel to God. Distinguished from Israel. To bring back Jacob to Israel. This is Jesus. Jesus is the one who brings back Israel to God and the one also who is Israel. Now that might be a new thought. Why would the servant of the Lord, who clearly is fulfilled to be Jesus, and we'll see that more and more, especially after next week. How is he Israel? Well, did you know that our Lord Jesus is the true Israel? He's everything his nation was supposed to be. One one great illustration of this is you know how the Israel coming out of Egypt failed in the wilderness. Remember the wilderness, they said horrible things about God. You came out here to kill us. They failed in the wilderness. And then when Jesus comes, he's sent into the Judean wilderness for 40 days, nearing the 40 years, and he passes with flying colors. The true Israel. And also he's Israel in another way. Do you know he represents Israel? Like an ambassador represents a country, or shall we say, not just an ambassador, a king. And we're coming back to the king here in a bit. Jesus is Israel, the true Israel, representing his nation. And then he also is the one who brings Israel back, his people to God. And you think about how he trained these 12 apostles and so many other people followed him. And the beginning of the whole Christian church is Jewish. It's this renewal movement. Jesus is the servant of the Lord. But we're not done yet. Two more verses. Verse 6. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant. Servant there again. To raise up the tribes of Jacob. And to bring back the preserved of Israel. Now listen to this. I will make you as a light for the nations. That my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Yes, it's about Israel, but it's more than Israel. And you see the servant doing something amazing. That it overflows the boundaries of Israel and it goes as a light to the ends of the earth. Reminds me of missions month we just had in January and my missiology class I'm doing until then. The importance of the Great Commission To the nations. And you see it here. This is what the servant does. We don't know a lot about his work. Yet. We'll see more of that here in a moment. And next week. But whatever he does. It's not just for Israel. It's for the nations. Even reaches. North America. One more verse. Verse 7. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One. Now listen to the description of this servant. To one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers. 
And here's what the Lord says to that servant. Kings shall prostrate themselves before this chosen servant. Excuse me, I'm reading the wrong part here. Kings shall see and arise. Princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord, who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. Now the first part of that, the servant who's faithful, who's Israel, who will bring back Israel, now you hear more. He's going to be deeply despised, abhorred even. Have you ever been deeply despised? Because you're trying to do the right thing, the servant trying to do the right thing, and yet it's not going well. And yet something good then happens where God says about this servant, even though he's despised, says, kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves. The rulers of the world, all the powerful people, the elite, bow the knee, as it were, to the servant in the end. And so you see how Jesus, can you see how Jesus is the servant? And now we're back to the hero, the king. Where all these other leaders prostrate themselves. And we find out Jesus is both that king, that hero of Isaiah 9 and 11. And and also the servant. This is not two persons. This is one person with really two stages of life. The first stage leads Jesus into suffering. And we're heading towards Good Friday. Where he will look abhorrent. Despised and handed over. And then we get to Easter. And you see the beginning of his exaltation. And the things we're still waiting for in his second coming. Proclaimed to be king of all of all nations. The heroic king, prince of peace, mighty God. We'll pick this up next week some more. And next week is on perhaps the greatest prophecy ever written. Isaiah 53. The last of the servant songs. Now that we know his identity a little better, we're going to hear his work. What did he do exactly? And how. And we'll follow it up with communion. What a great passage to have communion following it next week. But let me end today by shifting my last few minutes to Jesus speaking. Do you remember Jesus speaking about being a servant? What does he say from Matthew 20? But Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Even as the Son of Man, and that's him referring to himself, came not to be served, but to serve, servant of the Lord, 
That's his identity. Just as Isaiah predicted. And why? Why serve? To give his life as a ransom for many. You know what a ransom is, right? It's a payment for someone who's trapped, held hostage, owned. It's a payment to set them free when they can't set themselves free. This is, for, this is the gospel where Jesus is saying, this is why I came. To set the prisoner free, to set those who can't have a payment for their own sins from their own pockets. I, I can pay it. You know, sometimes we sing it. Jesus paid it all. Referring to his cross work. Jesus paid it all. Paid it for who? For angels? No, for, for, for the best people in society? No, for sinners. For ordinary people. For worse than ordinary people. That's who he came for. This is the glorious news of the gospel. And we might want him to stop there. But as you heard the paragraph, what does Jesus do? He connects it to our behavior, to ethics. He tells us things we should do specifically. You should be a servant too. Wouldn't it be nice if Jesus said, I did all the dirty work. What was that show? Dirty Jobs, Micro. That was me. I did all that dirty stuff so we don't have to. But he connects it and he says, you must be a servant too. And the greatest among you, slave of all. This is how I process this in my own language, in my own head. What's he saying in this paragraph that I read? I think he's saying this. This is how I internalize it. Hey, the only reason I'm saved, the only reason I have life and forgiveness is because Jesus served, served me, dying on a cross, giving his life as a ransom for me, for you, for many. How can I not be changed by that? How can I say, no, thank you, I can't be a servant too? And in fact, that fact that he is a servant for me actually starts to produce a little joy. Could there be joy in service? Joy in being a servant like him? It's a high calling. He brought dignity to servanthood. You know, being a servant starts with small things. So I want to end on a practical note here. Being a servant doesn't start with big projects, big acts, things that make viral videos. Jesus talks about a servant as someone who is faithful with little, a little money, a little time. And they will be faithful with much. It can be truly small things. Kids, finishing your homework. Asking your parents how you can help. What a nice thing. If you're an adult, maybe it's Forgoing the best parking spot and leaving it for those with mobility problems. It might involve checking in on an elderly neighbor and spending time with them watching their favorite show. You know, it also involves coming to worship services. You notice the word service? 
This is where we serve God. We take time to get out of bed and do this. Being a servant might involve doing things that make you despise too. Truly countercultural in a bad way, in an unattractive way in this world. You might stand out and be a target. That's okay. So was our Lord. The servant of the Lord Jesus. Personal note here. Have you ever had somebody say to you, how can I help? I actually had somebody say that to me not too long ago. And not just a passing comment, but a deeply sincere, how can I help? Let's talk through this. Well, it made me feel great. I hope you all experience that someday. And maybe help somebody else out in that way. Be a servant. How can I help you out? I'm not just saying that. Seriously. And this is what Jesus did for us. How can he help us out? Well, he can give his life as a ransom. And he did. And you know what? This is what our world needs for other reasons too. To be a servant. To to get outside ourselves. Our own needs. Our own wants. Our own desires. To look to the needs of others. There's something healthy about that. You got to wonder how much of our mental and emotional health difficulties now could be solved or at least improved if we would only take Jesus' words seriously to focus on being the servant of all. Because Jesus already was the ransom for many, the suffering servant. And we'll learn more about that next week. Let's go to prayer now. And we're going to have a silent moment. For you to hear God's voice, to interact with God, to pray about being a servant, some tangible way. The Lord might be calling you to, to be a servant to others. Let's pray. Lord, I pause in a moment of silence. First of all, thanking you that we don't save ourselves by being great little servants. Jesus saved us, but we want to be like him. So, Lord, we thank you for him, and now we ask that you would reveal to us where you're calling us to be a servant. And, Lord, it's our great joy to sing to you now. Open our mouths and our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.